Welcome to Careers in Crescendos, Lessons for Musicians. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Megan Goodsell, an Eastman alum, a current staff member in the Eastman Concert Office, and a previous winner of the IML Mentorship Grant. She's here with us at the IML today to discuss her project and share with us the work she's doing with young people. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So your project was called Tuneful. Can you tell us a little bit about your project and what drove you to pursue it? Yeah, so Tuneful is kind of a little website um, displaying my project. It was part of my comprehensive exam with my master's um, where we had to make a culmination of kind of everything we learned and studied at Eastman. And I um, had been thinking a lot about my own personal teaching philosophy and how it didn't really align with what I was doing in the classroom, because the reality of it is, you know, you get into a school and they expect you to teach band and you have to do a certain amount of concerts, you have to have marching band, you have to have all of these things. Um, And it's really difficult to rock the boat and kind of teach some of these uh, Gordon Azera principles um, that we teach here at Eastman that I really value, but I wasn't seeing in the classroom. So I wanted to make um, basically a, a guide that can help um, high school band directors teach these musicianship principles. And I knew that if I just wrote a paper that no one would read it. So I really wanted to make a website that I could share and say, hey, here's this living thing that you can go through these modules and look at. Um, and so I reached out to IML for a grant to have the, the website domain and to pay some of the composers that I um, invited to be part of the project. So Yeah. And it, so just remind us here, um, your degree was in uh, what area when you were a master's student? Yeah, I got a master's in music education. So it's part of the music teaching and learning department. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And were there specific faculty members that you worked with on this project? My advisors were um, Dr. Azera and Dr. Snell. Officially, Dr. Azera and Dr. Caravan were the ones who reviewed the project, but Dr. Azera helped me a lot, just kind of as his TA for the last year of my master's, and Dr. Um, Snell, I did an independent study with that kind of sparked the idea for this. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was the one that kind of helped me formulate and go through the grant process and stuff. So So you noted that it was a website. Um, Mm -hmm. For people that might be interested, how would they access that website? Yeah, so you can go to (laughs) tuneful.squarespace.com. Yeah, so it's it's just called Tuneful, and it's on the Squarespace domain because I didn't pay for a dot com domain. <laughs> Fantastic. I trust a Google search will work nonetheless. So. Yeah. yeah. Now, t- uh, in terms of the target audience for this website, you noted that it was specifically for high school band directors. Is that correct? Yeah. So it is beneficial for anyone that teaches music, um, but my audience is really high school band directors. I was really trying to reach the bandos that like only do band and only care about band um, because those are the ones that aren't going to read the books that I've read mm, that I, mm. you know, and so I'm trying to talk to them and say, hey, you can teach whatever band repertoire you want to teach and also include some of this musicianship stuff. Right. It doesn't have to be one or the other. So. Is there, would, would there be a benefit for students themselves to look at this if they are a young developing musician? Or would you say that the website is more framed in a way that it's teaching centered and more for educators? Yeah, it's definitely teaching-centered, um, and it could benefit, you know, college students, pre-service mm. teachers, but sure. it's 
really primarily for here's how you would teach this thing or here's what this is and why it's beneficial for students and stuff like that. So let's talk a little bit about the educational philosophy. You cited Gordon, you cited Azara. Can you tell <laughs> us for, for those listeners who maybe aren't so familiar with those educational philosophies, what are some of the ideas behind the concepts? Yeah, so um, I think the main kind of idea of the philosophy is, and Dr. S- Dr. Um, Azara talked about this in um, one of his books, where um, creativity and improvisation um, should be taught the way that we learn language. And we learn language by listening, then speaking, so like babbling, and then we think, and then we converse with people, and then we learn how to read and write. And in beginning band, we often teach them how to read it before teaching them how to play. Um, And there are many schools of thought about this, but um, my philosophy aligns with this where the most um, congruent, I guess, way to teach music is in this language idea of having listen, and then you play, and then you audiate, which is to like think the music, and then you improvise, and then you learn how to read and write. Um, And so you teach them little songs by ear, by rote. First, it's just them repeating back, but then they start to see these patterns of how music really works. And then you can show them, this is what that looks like on a page, and they already have the context for it. Rather than if you were to show me, this is how you pronounce these words in German, and I would be able to perfectly pronounce them in German, but I don't know what it means. I can't, I can't make up my own German sentence. So yeah, they just kind of do a lot of comparing to language, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting. I see this in my daughter right now. She just turned two, mm-hmm. right? And we're driving to the zoo the other day, and she's in the back seat, and we're pulling into the zoo, and she just says, I want ice cream <laughs> out of nowhere. And it was, it was adorable, but of course you're right. She's never seen that, right? We've talked about it. Yeah. She's listened. Now she's speaking. Yes. Eventually she'll learn to, to read and write it. Right? Was there ice cream at the zoo? Um, not at the zoo. We weren't, <laughs> that was not the mission of that day. We did not get ice cream at the zoo. I will say, though, there was sweet treats later that night be- <laughs> Very good. as a family. Yes. Uh, and she was certainly uh, satisfied. But, yeah, I mean, certainly a, a sentence we had never heard her say before. Yeah. Um, but you know, she definitely learned some understanding from her parents. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Yeah. So there are four sections to the website, right? Mm-hmm. Musician tutorials, teaching by ear, repertoire examples, and resources. Can you tell us about each of those sections and what uh, a user might find there? Yeah. So in um, musicianship tutorials, I open the website by being like, "Hello, do you recognize any of these words? Audiation." Uh, whatever, meter, tonal, style, all of these kind of words. And um, I say, if you don't know these, go to musicianship tutorials. If you understand like Gordon terminology, then start in kind of resources. Um, So the musicianship tutorials, I go through um, uh, tonality, meter, style, and then putting those all together, together, which I call executive stills. So tonality would be like a bum, 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 kind of a, you know, those things. Meter is rhythm. Um, style would be like phrases, um, how you play it, if it's upbeat, if it makes you want to dance or sing kind of a thing. Um, putting it together is the executive skills. And then I have a 
page on improvisation. Um, and so I go through Dr. Azera's seven skills to, um, with his developing musicianship through improvisation book. Um, and that's kind of his formula for starting with boundaries. So at the beginning you would teach them the melody and then to improvise, you would teach them, um, you know, here's the baseline, make up a rhythm with just those notes. So there's a lot of restriction and then you would say, okay, now you can use the chords, but um, only the notes in the chord, you can't go in between. And then eventually you would build out to where they can freely improvise. Um, and so those are all of the musicianship tutorials where I'm just really briefly overviewing, this is what all of this means when I talk about it. And then teaching by ear started as a page in musicianship tutorials. And then during my comp exam, my um, professors that were overseeing it said, hey, uh, we want you to get feedback from teachers that are teaching. And so I sent it to two of my friends that are teachers that teach. And um, one of them is like well-versed in Gordon. He's like done the music learning theory training uh, and he teaches elementary. And one of them is like the Mr. High School Band, has his own marching competition and they're both really good friends of mine. And so I sent it to both and I asked for feedback and both of them said that the teaching by ear um, page was their favorite module. And so I made it its own page. Mm. Um, and so that I have a sample lesson plan where I say, okay, if I was to teach a bunch of students how to sing, um, Oh Danny boy by ear, this is exactly what I would do. So I lay out the lesson plan and then I have a little video in there of me singing it and saying, okay, so now I would have them like do the macro beats in their feet. And then after that, I would have them do the micro beats in their hands. And so I go through all of those and explain exactly how I would teach it by ear. Um, and then after that, I made these repertoire examples. So I took um, two pieces of music for wind band. One of them is, um, what's it called? The Castle Walk? Yeah. The Castle Walk by um, James Reese Europe and 4T Dabney. That is a march and all marches are the same. So <laughs> making, making this about, this is how I would teach this march is very relatable to anybody. And so it's pretty simple and straightforward. Um, and then I did a piece by Jody Blackshaw, who is living, which is why I needed to pay her, um, called Katango Five, which has a lot of mixed meter and it's in like a weird um, kind of minor-y Phrygian kind of mode. And so um, that one is like, oh, if you're teaching, you know, strange humors, here's something that's not just a normal in F major 4-4 four, four kind of a deal. Um, and so in each of those, I had a um, composer profile, I had information about the piece, and I had a sample teaching guide for, you know, on day one, teaching this melody. And I had a bunch of PDFs saying, um, here's what I pulled out as a melody or a counter melody you could teach. Here are some rhythms that you could do to um, work your way up to doing some of these harder rhythms. Um, here are the chord progressions so they could improvise over the like chords of the piece. So it's really um, working toward you know, eventually you're gonna play this piece on a concert and you don't want to waste time doing folk songs and improvising. And so you can use your warm up time instead of just doing scales or a bop chorale, you could have them improvise on the chords that are directly this piece of music. Um, so those were the repertoire examples and that was probably the most work, the most extensive. Yeah. And then the resources, um, I had 
uh, teaching guides, which was a collection of documents that I made that um, have a planning guide. So I have like a fillable, fillable, <laughs> fillable worksheet that um, has questions like where's the like where's the resting tone and what uh, you know just things like that. Um, so that's a planning guide for um, kind of score score study in the way of. Gordon, um, and then a teaching guide template um, of, you know, this is what I would do to teach this thing. I have um, how to establish tonalities in various modes. If you're teaching a piece in Phrygian, you could do this and this. Um, and then tips for reluctant singers, because I taught band and I know that they hate singing. <laughs> so I was like, uh, have them hum and then open their mouths and suddenly they're singing, give them kazoos, you know, things like that. Um, so that, that was the main meat of the website. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned Jody Blackshaw, so I'd like to yeah. come back to that for a moment. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your decision to include that composer, to include a living female composer, rather than, it'd be, um, for, a, for a resource for high school bands, right, it'd be very easy to just have Granger or like whole suites and, you know, um, you know hit, hit those kinds of works. Tell us a little bit about working with uh, Jody Blackshaw. Yeah, so I, when I was coming up with the idea for this with Dr. Snell, we were talking about how this could be um, this kind of idea of applying these principles to any piece of music is more sustainable um, than something like smart music, where um, smart music is amazing and what it does is incredible, um, but you have to pick from a list. And like, there's a standard. And in this wave of we want new composers, we want voices that haven't been heard, um, then if I can make a template and say, I trust you as an educator, try and do this to new music that you find, um, or music that students arrange or whatever, then it's a little bit more sustainable. And so um, James Reese Europe and um, John T. Dabney are both um, black composers who, well, I think John T. Dabney is a pianist, but they're black men, black musicians, and they were part of this orchestra of people of color and all of this stuff. And so I tried to include, you know, that's someone who did a march that I didn't know about, that Dr. Caravan taught me about. Yeah. Um, and then I knew that Jody Blackshaw, um, I had like heard some of her pieces, and I knew that she was really into students as composers. I think she did her dissertation on um, having students learn how to compose. And so I knew she was kind of into pedagogy as well as composing. Mm -hmm. And so I figured, and her website said, you know, send me an email and we'll go get coffee. And so I was like, well, I'm not in Australia, but <laughs> <laughs> will you help me with this project? And yeah. she was really, really nice and responded and was willing to, to do that. Um, and so I haven't had very much correspondence with her, but I did write an article for one of her little um, newsletters that she does monthly. Mm. And so I know that she is really doing good work as far as um, progressing band as well. Right. So, yeah. 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 It sounds like, uh, too, a, a very different experience to be able to work alongside these people, work with in collaboration, rather than working just with material that's in the public domain. And yeah. Perhaps Which is what the first one was. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and certainly you're right and astute in saying um, 
there's been a lot of thinking across the musical world of the last couple of years about the voices that we're lifting up and using. And my experience has been, um, as I uncover and learn about new composers, living composers, new music I haven't engaged with before, I come to find it's just great music. Yes. Right? And I, Would you agree with that sentiment here and the work that you were uh, engaging with? Yeah. And I reached out to her about a different song. I had only ever heard her song, Peace Dancer. And I was like, oh, this would be really nice. And it's like uh, slow and melodic, and that would contrast to the march. And she said, um, I think I understand what you're doing. Can I suggest this other piece? And it was another piece that I didn't know about. I'm sure a lot of people don't know about. And it's awesome. And it's got yeah. cats in it, which I love cats. <laughs> it's called Catango 5. <laughs> um, and so she suggested another piece of hers, and I was able to, she was helping me work through, I think that what I have would actually be better for what you're doing. Um, so it was totally a different experience working yeah. with a living composer rather than doing research and finding yeah. public domain stuff. Yeah. yeah, and hopefully simultaneously beneficial for you, beneficial for her, and I would assume beneficial for the students as well. Right. So, excellent. Whether you're applying for jobs or still discovering your career goals, the IML's career advisors, Blair and Jeff, are here for you. Schedule a meeting on Handshake to proofread a resume, talk through your career journey, or practice interview skills. Take the next step and access personalized expertise at the IML. So... You were teaching in the schools prior to uh, working on your master's degree, mm -hmm. and now you're also back teaching again. Can you tell us a little bit about both your teaching experiences now in this moment and also by using these ideas, resources, concepts with students, what kind of result you're seeing from your young learners? Yeah, so I taught high school band and orchestra and everything in between um, for four years before coming up here. And... Um, like I said, I, I felt like I wasn't teaching true to my philosophy. I was just, I only had the time to work on the notes and rhythms. I had to teach band during lunch. So, um, and I, in the website, I kept saying over and over, look, I get it. I know that public school is difficult. I know that everyone's situation is so different and not everyone has, you know, three band directors like they do in Texas. Um, and so I came up, I did my master's and I was like, okay, how can I keep doing this in the future. So right now I'm teaching um, part-time at McQuaid, Jesuit Catholic High School. It is an all-boys Catholic school, and it's great. I love it. Um, it's super different from public school. And I'm teaching one class of general music, and I teach all of the band, um, the instrument, kind of pull out from their classes, lessons, group lessons. And so I'm finding that I do have more flexibility in these small group lessons that I can kind of experiment on them. And if you have ever been new to a teaching job, you get um, that when you're first year at a new place, it's kind of hard to rock the boat. You feel like you have to convince them that, you know, things aren't going to be completely different with you, that you know what you're doing, that... Um, every, everything's fine. And then once you have a rapport with them, I think that's when, at least that was my experience in Virginia and it's my experience now too. So, um, this past year I tried to do a lot of the same and keep the peace. Um, but now that I have good rapport with my colleagues and my students, um, this upcoming year, I have a lot of suggestions for, you know, if you're doing this in the band rehearsal, 
can I do this in lessons? And we can do some of this more work on improvising, work on these musicianship skills, learning things by ear and stuff like that. So I haven't done it yet, but I think that this year will be the year. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I certainly take your point that trust needs to be earned. Yeah. Right? And it can take some time to, to do that, especially when you're new in a role, for sure. Um, you know, you kind of noted that in your previous teaching experience that it maybe felt like you weren't true to yourself and your musicianship and your goals for your students. Has there been anything about by going through this project and creating this that has influenced the way that you teach? Or were there things that you uncovered through this? Or did it maybe just give you um, some of those concepts and ideas that you had kind of been looking for and using with students. Yeah, so this project I think was really meaningful to me in that, so I took this class, um, I took web design, web development, something or other. It was an IML class. I took it my last semester. And in this class, we talked about having, oh, it was called building a web presence. And we talked about building a web presence and how, what do you have to offer the world? Um, and are you just some other dude on a podcast, you know, <laughs> and you know, who are you and what are you trying to offer? And so, um, through that class, through this, through the mentorship, um, with the IML, I found that it's okay that I'm kind of always myself. I have a hard time being stuffy and professional and it's okay that my website has some jokes. It has some sarcasm. It has, you know, that kind of stuff because it's true to me and it's different than just regurgitating. Here's what I learned in these books so that you don't have to read them. Um, it's trying to add a little bit of myself. And so, um, going through and, and reviewing this website after having taught at McQuaid, it's heartening to see that, um, I, I feel like I am coming into myself as, my own person and my own teacher. And um, hopefully I can incorporate a lot more of the, the things that I find really important with teaching this upcoming year. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the IML Mentorship Grant. And for those listeners who maybe don't know, the IML Mentorship Grant is available to all uh, matriculated Eastman students at any, you know, any uh, degree program, undergraduate, graduate, all are eligible to apply while you're in school. And that... Um, offers an award of generally around $500 to $1,000 for successful winners, uh, along with mentorship grant, uh, mentorship time, excuse me, uh, with the IML. And we, of course, encourage all prospective applicants, if you've got an idea, something you're thinking about, come on down to the IML. Let's have an appointment. We can work on it together and, and talk about your project before you apply and try to put your best foot forward. If you're interested, please, uh, you can come on down to the IML and inquire about it. Uh, email us at IML um, at esm.rochester.edu or go ahead and sign into Handshake and make an appointment with me. We can we can definitely work on your proposal together. Um, but Megan, why don't you tell us a little bit about that application process, what your experience was like, and then what that what was that mentorship component like for you? Yeah, so the application process, I don't really remember because it was not, a di it wasn't difficult. It wasn't mm -hmm. a whole thing. Mm -hmm. I remember doing it. I remember <laughs> writing a proposal. <laughs> That's about it. Um, and then I remember getting the grant and being stoked. And when I 
proposed it, and when I got the grant, I was thinking the entire time about, I have money to do things, and Dr. Snell was too. He was like, oh my gosh, no one ever gives us money. Um, and so I was like really focused on the fact that I got this $500, mm -hmm. and then um, as I went through the program um, and was doing this project and working with IML, I don't think I even used all of the money that I was given, um, but the mentorship is why people should apply. Mm -hmm. It is awesome. I went to two or three, maybe four meetings with um, some of the IML um, professionals here. And um, I know it was Rachel and, mm -hmm. um, and they were so helpful in anything I needed. I walked in and they said, how's your project going? And I was like, I don't know how to be a student. And we talked nothing at all about the project, about the website, nothing. We talked about how to budget my time. We talked about how to set deadlines and stick to them. We talked about like just general life and health and mental well-being. And it was so helpful and it was exactly what I needed and it's not anything I would get in another class. Mm -hmm. So having these brilliant people who are willing to just be my therapists <laughs> and help me with being a student and being an overwhelmed, you know, last semester master's student trying to finish this comp exam and do all of these things and make it something I'm really proud of. Um, they just really helped with life skills. So I can't recommend it more, not for the money, but for the mentorship. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm so glad, first of all, to hear that the application was not a huge burden to you, right? And I think that we, our philosophy is we need the information about the project, but yes, it's very general things that you'll really find on any grant proposal, like a timeline and a project description and, you know, a target audience, who is this going to make impact for and a budget and, you know, doesn't have to be more complex than that, yeah. right? And um, yeah, you know, in 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 our structure now, uh, successful winners are going to come down and have a group appointment with everyone, with our wonderful IML director Rachel Roberts, who you got to work with. And from there, you will have those kind of individual sessions and get to work one on one with either Rachel or myself. And Absolutely. Sometimes those conversations are more about that project management or budgeting our time, and yeah. sometimes it's more that nitty gritty. So absolutely, you know, I'm Megan. I'm glad you had a, a worthwhile experience, and I think everyone at the IML would say we're always here for our students, right? Yeah. To, to to help with what they need. And uh, listeners also should remember that they can log into Handshake and make a career advising appointment too totally separate from the grant. Um, you know, if you just need to come down and work through some of these ideas you're thinking about or um, you're applying for something or you could just use some of those skills thinking about or having trouble budgeting time or anything like that or maybe you're unsure about where you want your career to go. We are here for you. It doesn't cost anything and, and we are always available to, to meet with our students. So could you tell us um, just a little bit about what's next for Tuneful? Is there, is there anything else that... Um, you see being added to the resource of the website, more repertoire, or would you say that the goal here is just to have people access it? Yeah, at the end of last year, I would have said, yeah, I can expand it, and it's gonna be this amazing thing. Um, and now, after it's been a year, and I like read through the whole thing before coming to the this interview, I think that it's really fine as a standalone project. Um, and if I just tweak some of the language um, and say, well, my bio says, I'm currently finishing my master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if I you know, tweak a little bit and I just share it, 
if I just get over my insecurities and I just share it places, I can share it on band director Facebook pages and I can send it to some of my friends and um, just try and get it out there because that was what I intended for it to be was, um, you know, I was supposed to write a paper and instead of writing a paper, I put it on the internet so that people can see sure. it. And I tried to make it a fun, engaging thing um, for people to look at. So yeah, I really just need to share it. Yeah. And that's the future of this is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. So, so what about, um, any other goals for yourself in your teaching now that you have been through your degree program, you come into teaching again with a, hopefully a, a renewed sense of focus and interest. What's next for you? Yeah. Um, I, have just started teaching a lot of private lessons, as I mentioned. Um, I'm teaching some piano lessons on my own, and then at McQuaid I have those group lessons. Um, and I really am interested in how to apply some of the stuff, even though the audience is for classroom high school band, um, it's definitely applicable to other fields, you know, middle school people or anybody who teaches music. So I'm interested to try and see how useful these templates and this stuff is for teaching my own teaching of, um, individual private students. So I think that's what I want to do next as, um, my personal teaching grows. I have never done private lessons before and it's really fulfilling. So I like it a lot. I would agree with that. I mm -hmm. absolutely, you know, as, as great as it is to have a, a whole group of young people to work with, I love that relationship of one-on-one -on -one and what's special in that time together. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. If all of that isn't enough, the great stuff that you're doing in the world, you also have the pleasure of working for Eastman a little bit part-time with mm -hmm. the concert office. Can you tell us about just that transition for you of going from Eastman student into Eastman staff? Yeah, I... Um... So the concert office desperately needed someone to manage their website because uh, everyone from all departments was having to try and do a little bit of it on their own. And so a lot of things were not matching in style. They were not, that some things were just kind of going by the wayside. And, um, and I had worked in the concert office as a master's student. I was the program editor. And um, so the, my friends in the concert office and my previous boss, Julia, reached out and said, hey, we really need this. And so I applied, um, other people applied as well. Um, but I was welcomed back into the concert office. And so now I'm doing that part-time as well. And um, it's been really fun because I came to Eastman during COVID. And so just being here, sometimes I'll see people and realize that that's the first time I've seen them without a mask or the first time I've seen them not on Zoom. And so it's been pretty cool to get to come back to Eastman when it's fully up and running um, and keep these connections with people. Yeah. So. Well, I've always found it's a great community to be a part of, and it's nice to keep those connections for sure. Yeah, you did the same so, thing. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So I ask all of the alumni on the program to share just a little bit of their thoughts and memories about their time being a student. Are there any uh, memories that you have of your time as a student that were very fond? Um, yeah, so as I mentioned, I came in fall of 2020 when everything was online, or if we were in person, we were, because I played trombone, you played trombone, <laughs> nine feet apart. Yep. And yep. <laughs> um, so my second semester of my first year, I took improv with Dr. Azera himself, and it was on Zoom, and it was once a week for three hours, and we made it work, and it was certainly not ideal, um, but the class was 
like nine people and we were all we managed to become friends somehow we through like messaging on zoom chat and so then at the end of the semester we all had a bonfire at uh, one of the students' houses, and Dr. Zara came, we played cornhole, and it was kind of the first time, it was the end of my first year where everything was online and I had no friends, and so we went to this bonfire and we just hung out and got to meet each other, and it was a weird meeting because we felt like we knew each other, but I think that was probably my favorite moment of being at Eastman, and it wasn't even really at Eastman. <laughs> I had a lot of great experiences at Eastman. <laughs> Sounds like that is truly a testament to the Eastman community, though. Yes. Right? And and that, that's wonderful. And if for those who don't know, I believe that class titled Improvisation, I want to say it's something like MTL 485 or yeah. something like that. It is an awesome course. Oh, it's amazing. I cannot recommend that enough to everyone to take, especially that might require you to be a graduate student. But it is absolutely a phenomenal class. Especially if you don't feel comfortable improvising. Absolutely. Because I took an improv class in my undergrad and it was terrifying. And then I taught for four years and I still, after even trying to teach students that improv's not that scary, I got to Eastman and I was like, improv's really scary. The jazz people know what they're doing. Um, and so Dr. Azera makes it really, really, really approachable. Um, and it's super important. Absolutely. And he, he does such a phenomenal job of working with every person in the class to help them get to the next level, no matter where they're at and get you comfortable. And I think, um, even beyond just the the, um, the improvisation skills I gained when I got to take that class was just I had such a different understanding of music as yeah. an entire and the way that we consume it and think about it and conceptualize it. So yes, 10 out of 10, highly recommend. Yes. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining me and talking about Tuneful. We all wish you the very best and thank you for joining us on the program. Thank you so much for having me. Today's episode of Careers in Crescendo, Lessons for Musicians was produced by Kelly Jutsum. The video was recorded by Yunyi Huang with lighting and technical assistance from Christian Bogdanovsky. The music was written and produced by Will J, and the artwork designed by Joyce Sang. As always, if you have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us via our website at iml.esm.rochester.edu. If you like this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues and leave us a review on your preferred streaming platform. This podcast is a production of the Institute for Music Leadership at the Eastman School of Music. The views expressed in the podcast are the interviewees and do not represent the Eastman School of Music or the Institute for Music Leadership. From the IML, I'm Jeff Dunn. See you next time. <laughs>